Okay, guys, welcome to the Sunday afternoon, uh, uh, let us say, Dhamma Fest. Uh, glad to see you. Um, we've already started talking a little bit about Goenka method. Uh, and the statement that I uh, stated was is that Go the Goenka method was not ever intended to take a student into jhana. That's not its purpose. So I think that I need to describe that a little bit. Otherwise, I'll leave a whole lot of Goenka students unhappy. <laughs> um, that in fact, if a student does go into jhana, which happens quite a bit in, in the Goenka method, uh, they don't know what it is or how to get it or how to get out of it, or they think it's wonderful or they think it's terrible or all of that kind of stuff uh, because they haven't had specific instructions with that, which, by the way, are right there in the sutras in, in quite vivid detail. Yep. And so um, one of the hallmarks of the Goenka method has to do with um, uh, scanning the body. You know about body scans. It's about six out of the 10 days of work that they do. Is that correct? Yeah. Andrew? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. It depends whether you're doing a long course. If you do a long course, and usually it's the first, it's the first, uh, um, the first ten days is usually anapana. If it's a thirty-day course, first ten days is anapana, and then after that, um, then it's the the body scan. But the body scan usually after the um, after the ten-day courses, um, then usually the body scan isn't so much of a scan anymore. Usually, it's just feeling the arising and passing, wherever it is. Hello, James. Welcome. Glad to see you. Hi. Um, so, uh, the the point that I'm beginning at is that, that uh, actually I'm glad to hear that there has been a bit of evolution in the Goenka method that they didn't have that when I was around. That in fact they had already, by the time I had left, developed a thing that they called the Satipatthana sitting. But the um, the point that I'm making is is that uh, within the context of Anapanasati, the Goenka method picks and chooses certain items rather than presenting it as a full package. And the full package of it does have, in fact, all of the elements of the first jhana when first jhana is mentioned as an item many suttas it has five items do you know what five items those are so the the five uh, items of uh, anapanasati no the five items of the first jhana oh um yeah just and why is called both samatha and is called um uh samati yeah do you know those five items yeah, usually there's some, um, there's the initial. Um, uh, um, Can you give me a yes or no? So yes, I do. <laughs> my ear. Yes. yes, I do. You you know them. Okay. Yes. That's, that's good. That's the whole point is, is that we have to know where we're going if we ever hope to get there. 
And that not only that, but these five items are taken kind of in an order that we have to do one thing at a time. And the first thing that is, is to remove the hindrances from the mind. And that's often, even though the five items are understood and talked about in a conceptual kind of way, the students are not actually instructed to do that specifically. And so when you talk about it in the sense that your mind's playing tricks on you, <laughs> what that actually means is, is that's a hindrance. Yeah, it's sure, a, sure. Okay. Yeah, and I'm understanding. That, uh, the thing to do then is to see that hindrance as a hindrance and then throw it out. Yeah. Okay, this, this is the part uh, that I'm talking about that Goenka's method is missing is the actual how to practice. And so actually, in a way, they missed step one. Yeah. Where are we going to go from there? <laughs> Can I ask a question on that? Because that's a really poignant yes. point. So when you talk about throwing them out, are you talking about realizing their passing nature? Or are you talking about literally throwing no, them out? No, no, that's getting stuck into it. That's like seeing a cow pie. And then in order to understand cow pies, you've got to rub your boot in it and get it all over <laughs> see what it smells like. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what is taught in meditation, is taught to wallow in dukkha. And the students do it big time. Yeah. Especially with the Mahasi method, which is very close to the Goenka method. Yeah. And, and so um, what we can say then is, is that both the Guanka and the Mahasi coming out of Burma miss step one of the practice. Not removing the hindrances, inspect them. And that in fact, this leads to uh, a distortion of uh, the, the understanding of the Four Noble Truths. Because the Four Noble Truths is basically the entire teaching of the Buddha. In fact, there are no four different references of exactly that it's five, four, yeah, four different suttas that do have that this one point is, is I only teach one thing, and that is Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Yep. Now, what that actually means, we can see directly through other suttas, that it doesn't mean Dukkha, 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 really get in touch with the Dukkha, look at the Dukkha here, look at the Dukkha there, get that Dukkha over here, get that Dukkha because it's next to that Dukkha, and down the Dukkha rabbit hole we go. That's how the students practice, and that's not the teaching of the Buddha. The actual teaching of the Buddha is to see Dukkha immediately and throw it out immediately and come out of those hindrances. And so, in a way, inspection of dukkha is just more dukkha. We have to be able to see it, in fact, from a distance to avoid it. See it before it gets there, in a way. Now, uh, in some of the sutras, the Buddha talks about it in the sense of wholesome versus unwholesome thought. And the whole idea is just to see an unwholesome thought as an unwholesome thought and immediately throw that out, change it, and put it is back into a wholesome thought. <laughs> In the Anapanasati Sutra, this step is referred to also as intentionally gladdening the mind with gladdening the mind kind of thoughts, which are wholesome. 
And so uh, there's also a passage in one of the sutras, I think it's number 36, but I'm not sure about this. But the Buddha talks about it in the sense of, aha, I've got you, Myra. Aha, I can see that thought as it pops up. I can see that thought of distrust. I can see that thought of anger. I can see that thought. Whatever it is, got it. I can see it. Yet most students, especially within the Goenka system, they talk about it. Uh, in fact, his statement is, is that when the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind, start again. Have you ever heard that phrase? Quite a few times, yes. <laughs> yeah. When the mind wanders away from the breath, never mind is an important point. Never mind, start again. Now, what that whole phrase teaches is something that is not fully explained to students in the sense of the never mind part is just to stop the dukkha, to come out of those thoughts. And yet most people, when they recognize that their mind is wandered away from the breath in the Goenka retreat, what do they do? Oh no, monkey mind. Oh, my mind is all over the place. Oh, it's playing tricks upon me. Oh, it's, uh, uh, it, it's quite a jungle in there. You know, this is the way that they express it. In, and rather than the actual correct practice is as soon as you see one thought, never mind how many piles and piles that you can have in a retreat, but as soon as you recognize that the mind's wandered away from the breath, we can say, hot dog, I caught it. I can see that mind wandering and I can put a stop to it right now. <gasps> And go back to watching the breath joyfully and happily by gladdening the mind and by throwing unwholesome thoughts out. That's the first step towards going to the first jhana. And it's not taught properly. But many students figure that out on their own. Yes. This is the thing that I was uh, alluding to earlier on. It seems to happen naturally after a while but it's the point that i get a little bit confused because if i don't um lean into the the first jhana and rather watch the three characteristics of the dukkha then it seems that i am sometimes avoiding the insights so the insights of the the passing of the actual hindrances themselves Um, what do you mean, in fact, by the three characteristics? So noticing that there's the anicca, so the impermanence of the, the dukkha, and then noticing that, you know, there is... Let me, let me cut you, because I can talk better than I can hear. Anicca, dukkha, anatta, is that what you're talking about? Yes, yes. Huh? Yes, yes. Yes, okay. Anicca, dukkha, anatta, the three characteristics is not something that you could repeat. But in fact, what you can begin to do is to see it. And we can only see things clearly when the mind is clear. Yes. Mind is fit for work. Then we begin to see what a turmoil of a mess every second is. And yes. it's all there in that massive turmoil just to support my next breath. Thank you very much. <laughs> but it is marvelous as to how much stuff is happening all the time. 
You can see mm-hmm. in nature. It's there right now. In fact, look how much stuff has happened since I just started talking about that. Yeah. You can wreck up on the fact that you're shaking back and forth and you're smiling and this guy is like that and you know, all kinds of stuff is happening right here on the screen. So that's the whole idea of a Nietzsche is to begin to see that we're actually at a, the world's only and best live rock concert. <laughs> and you're yeah. the primary audience. And all you have to do is enjoy the show. That's what a Nietzsche is all about, is just watch the show, because it's a marvelous show that's going on. But if we get attached to one of the actors in that show, then when he crash lands, so will you. Because yep. now you're attached. In fact, that's the that's the becoming and that's the you, because we like something in the show. But if we can take the show just as a show and enjoy the show, then it doesn't matter who the villain and who the hero is. So that's the story of a Nietzsche. So if we, in fact, become one of the actors, then in that mess of a Nietzsche, there is now all of a sudden no more anatta. There's an atta there, a soul, yep. a me. And that me then is the vehicle to the dukkha. Or let us say that dukkha is carried around in a bucket, and the bucket has a name called me. Yep. And if there's no bucket, then there's no dukkha. Yeah. And so that's the three characteristics. That in fact, you could see it as kind of a wire or a fork in the road. So here you are rocking along and all of this stuff is happening. And when you become a me, you also create the dukkha. Or the dukkha creates the me, one or the other. So now you've got a fork. Are you going to take a not a route? Or are you going to take the me and my shadow? <laughs> well, this this is the, the primary uh, question that I wanted to ask is because after the 25 days or thereabouts, then if I do start to fall into the jhana quite easily, the first jhana, then if if it's an oscillation between falling into the hindrances and then coming back to the first jhana, then it seems like it's a very natural flow. But if there is it enough of an be. understanding. But but here's the point then that I'm making about that is, is that first jhana is a set of skills that need to be developed one by one. And then the last one is putting them all together. Yes. To get the mind in that state. Which is ready then to go silent. Another way of talking about it is is that we begin to corral the mind. Let us say that the mind is like a wild horse. It's just out all over the place. This canyon and that valley and up that hill and down that mountain, all over the place. But it's dangerous out there. And let us say that what we're going to do for that horse is give him a fenced-in pasture. And so now he lives quite happily in that fist-in pasture. And so the next thing is, is that in order to train the horse correctly, we had to put him into a corral, make it even smaller. Then the next step is, is that when it's time for medical attention or things like that, we put this in a stall. Now the horse can't move. Once we do that, 
we've had the mind to now still enough so that it can enter the second jhana, but it has to be corralled. And there's various methods to do that. And the first corral that we put him in is wholesome thoughts. Take it out of the danger, out of the jungle, and put it out. So that yes. every place that the mind goes, the mind is safe. So we begin to feel safe because we start talking about how safe it is when we have only wholesome thoughts. And as the mind gets more wholesome like that, and to narrow the kind of thoughts that we have so that there's not mixing unwholesome hindrances in there. And in fact, the reason that you're called obstructions or hindrances is to keep the mind out of its natural, beautiful state. But in fact, what we can say then is, is that somewhere along the line, humanity fell out of their paradise. And the way that they did that was by starting to make decisions about what they liked and what they didn't like, making things good and making things bad start setting up rules and boundaries. So they went through their paradise and started pulling up every tree they didn't know or like. <laughs> yeah. The next thing you know, they've destroyed their paradise. And then they had Cain and Abel and they started killing each other. Right? And so that's our birth of humanity is this story of Adam and Eve of eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what civilization then has become, is teaching all of the kids a set of rules to live by. The Buddha calls this the Labata Paramasa. All of the rites, rules, rituals, stories, shoulds, standards, <laughs> concepts, all of that stuff that we have stored in the mind, and we stored all of that stuff quite ignorantly as children. Just mm. took it all in. We imprinted. Took on things without understanding with wisdom whether this is a pile of crap or whether this is good stuff. So there it all is mixed together, a great big pile of compound that we call memory. Some people who are trying to learn Pali call it <laughs> Sankara. Probably heard that word if you've been around so this is another way to understand what is Sankara. It's all the crap that we picked up ignorantly given to us by ignorant people. Mm -hmm. And all of our experiences that were done ignorantly. And what I mean by that was is that they were mixed with hindrances and we didn't know it. We didn't know our feelings turned into greed. I like it, I want it. I want it, I care about it. That was going to be today's talk anyway, was about caring. I like it, I want it, I care it. Care about it. But is that in the Paticca Samuppada, that is Vedana, Tanha, Upadana. So the things that you care about are the things that are causing you pain. You stop caring about stuff, you won't have any more pain. That in fact, the things that we care about are those hindrances. Stop having the hindrances. Stop thinking about the things we care about and start thinking about how nice things are right now. And I'm quite satisfied. Thank you very much. I feel safe, secure. Yep. Satisfied. Remember those. Safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied. 
Why? Because that's the definition of sukkah. And sukkah is one of the items on the list of the first jhana. We have to develop sukkah because it's, it's our natural state, but it's not our normal state. Our normal state is hindered by all of the rules and all of the shoulds and all of the thoughts and all of the ways that things should be. And when we come out of all the rules and all the ways that things are supposed to be done, all the judgments and all the, the, uh, the standards that you can't meet up, and say, so the hell with it. I don't care anymore. At least I don't care right now. And so I can, because I don't care right now about it, I can just hear here comfortably and happily. I can have sukkah. Because dukkha is defined as being dissatisfied. And now guess what? Satisfied. Anybody here right now satisfied? Some of you are nodding your head and getting a big deal out of this. Hey, this is good stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah, and so there it goes. You're beginning to get some sukkah right here, right now. It's easy enough if you know what we're talking about. We got a guidepost. We got a map. We got a set of suttas that talk all about this. And yet Westerners read these suttas and they don't understand a word of it. This is what sukkah is all about, is safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. And when we get that going as a skill, this is actually the practice of the Eightfold to Noble Path, or better said, Eightfold Noble Method. Yeah, we can stop Vedam. you got a question. Always takes a little bit of time yes, for sir. the uh, GUI. Um, do you have uh, any uh, sensible source for a Westerner who tries to learn Pali to trans uh, to to have the right translations, um, the fitting the, fitting translations? One of the things is a good. Uh, possibility on Sutta Central, you can have line by line of English and Pali and English and Pali and that was a dictionary. You could look these words up, find out what they mean. Now, most of what I've been talking about today so far is in Majjhima Nikaya number 118, the Anapanasati Sutta, and I'm about to talk about Sutta number 117, the base of all of this, the Eightfold Noble Path is discussed there. So the, the point we going back to the issue of dukkha is, is that if we can see dukkha right here, right now, if we can see that unwholesome thought and then change it immediately, we're automatically right then and there in the third noble truth. Your choice, you're going to be in the first noble truth. It's got causes to it. That first noble truth is, is that you're dissatisfied. You're, uh, you care about something. And so by being dissatisfied, that means you care about it because you either want it to be different this way or want it to be different that way. You either want to push or pull, liking and not liking. And when we do that, we do it ignorantly, and so we keep doing it over and over again. And that over and over again is called san, 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 sara, that, samsara, that's it. 
called Samsara. You're doing the same thing over and over again. I like this. I don't like that. Push, pull, push, pull over and over around in a circle. And we do that ignorantly. And when we begin to see that we can pull off of that wheel anytime we want to, never mind the future you'll get back on. But then hopefully then you'll see enough of it to get off again. But right now I can get off. Come out of that samsara right now by changing my mind from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought. Become satisfied that I can have wholesome thoughts and start developing these jhana factors. So within the, uh, the Eightfold Noble Path, and by the way, the word path is not a really good word. It's a better word would be method. When we say the word path, we mean well, takes a long time to get way over there. But when you think of it as a method, that means all. Oh, that door that we want to open is not a thousand miles. It's right here in front of us, right here, right now. All we have to do is get the secret magic potion or the key. And the key is, is to remember that the door is right here. So we put the key in the door, we turn the latch, and we push with right effort and open the door right in front of us. First John, there it is. So, so Bonte, yeah, go ahead. Bonte, can I ask you, um, so what we were talking about before, you were talking about, um, well, I was talking about the falling into the first jhana rather than actually attempting to get into it. And the latter parts of the course seem seem to have more of a sense of arising and passing of the, the dukkha, the unwholesome thoughts. If one was to fall into, if I was to fall into the first jhana with the awareness of the three characteristics is this now then a vipassana jhana vipassana jhana is a term that existed long after the buddha there is no place in the suttas where vipassana versus samatha jhanas are talked about right okay that in fact if they are jhanas that are talked about, they are talked about in the form of samatha. Okay, so the question is of what is a vipassana jhana that's not a samatha jhana? Mm -hmm. What is a vipassana jhana in the sense of, oh, insight, insight. Well, if you see have insights into those hindrances, but you don't remove them, what kind of jhana is that? is only when the hindrances are removed and the mind is gladdened and you put it into a state of satisfaction or sukha, can the rest of the jhana factors be brought in. This is how it's taught in the suttas, even though it's not in that particular world. But hmm. uh, in the Anapanasati Sutta, because it has uh, piti sukha in that order rather than sukha piti. But that's only because piti sukha is um, a term in the Pali that's commonly used, and it has a particular kind of meaning to it. But the way that we develop it is first sukha, and then a little pity, and then back to sukha again. And that little bit of pity that we're having at top dog pity is, in fact, the second jhana. But then we move on to that, back to the sukha again. 
So Pitti is actually a temporary place, but it's something that's really good. Got to go there. I mean, this is all what's it all about. Uh, and another way of saying it is, is that the pity itself gets, after you keep doing it over and over again, it gets ordinary too, just like anything gets ordinary when you do it enough over and over and over again. So, uh, when that... So what you were talking about, you, sorry, Bante, you were talking about, um, the, uh, more, more the commentaries of the, the canons started to bring in things like the Vipassana jhana terms, which weren't something that were originally talked about. I don't know much about that. Uh, I haven't really read the Vasudhimaga or anything, um, but Nobody I do does. know they just read books and everybody's out there reading those books. Mm. And nobody knows much about it. That That's what I mean. So I just find that these are the terms that resonate with me, because when I fall into the first jhana, it seems like there is the the pity and the sukha um, are that it's not that they're redundant. It seems like there is much more of just a, an understanding of the three characteristics. There just seems like there is the anicca, the, the dukkha, which is, you know, knowing that it's dukkha okay. and no why. So in that regard, had, have you ever gone to the point of, oh, yeah, that's it. Anicca to Kanata. Wow, what a trip. It, well, it just feels like it's a dissolution of the body. Well, the whole point is, is do you really, if you're doing it through the Anicca to Kanata, are you really getting it? To the point of whippy, I got it. Yeah, maybe not with because that much that um, whippy, enthusiasm. It. That's the pity. The pity is, is that you know that you've got it. Okay, this is also the other word in uh, the Eightfold to Noble Path. Sorry that I've got to skip around all around like this, but that's what happens when questions are asked. But anyway, that's all right. Back to the Eightfold to Noble Path that the first thing that we have is uh, right, noble, looking, and we do that when we wake up with sati. And when we see by direct observation that this is a hindrance, then we take the third right effort, and the right effort is the gladdening of the mind. The right effort is throwing the hindrance out and pushing good thoughts in. This is the Eightfold and Noble Path. Now, when we do that repeatedly over and over and over again, we begin to feel really good in the sense that we feel safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied. And then we do that enough so that we get ourselves into a state of satisfaction and we begin to get the idea that, hey, I can do this. I can really do this. I really, in your case, I really understand Anicca Dukkha Anatta right now. I really got it. That's an important point, is that feeling of, I've got it. But in fact, here's the whole point about that. And by the way, in the Pali, this is the, the fourth item on the uh, Eightfold Noble Path called uh, Sama Sankapa. And it means, uh, it's translated into the English as right thought or right intention. But right intention actually is better understood to be right attitude which way are you leaning what direction is your life going in that's so natural that it just kicks off whatever thoughts that we have and how that gets started is in childhood every one of us is born 
incapable of taking care of ourselves. We are victims and have to be nurtured and cuddled and fed, cleaned up, all somebody else's work to do, and, it, and we're nourished. Then by the time we're six, we're put into school, and everything changes from being nourished and taken care of and loved, and it's okay. In fact, I'm really glad for this per first little poopy the baby does, but when he's 16, if he poops on your carpet, you're not going to cuddle and nourish him. You're going <laughs> to, I don't know what you're going to do. It depends upon how you feel about it. But the whole point is, is that around the age of six or so, we get into the state of losing our nourishment and start picking up all the rules and shoulds because there's punishments to all of these rules. You do wrong, you're going to get a wrong thing to happen on your backside. So this is the way that we're raised with all of those rules. And so whichever way that the mind is leaning is going to lean and then fall on to those particular rules, just like whichever way a tree is leaning, that's the way it's going to fall over. And it's completely cut down. Now, what we're really talking about with this Sama Sankapa is to change the way that your mind leans. Being a victim, because we've been, I mean, we're a victim to the government, we're being victims to big business, we're victims to religion, we're victims to big education, we're victims to all kinds of stuff. Why? Because they make sure that we're victims by ha having something to offer that we want. So here we are going around wanting things and are victimized by not getting it. So when we begin to practice, we actually begin to get satisfied, comfortable, Relaxed. That's, by the way, step four of Anapanasati is to relax. And that's part of the reason for doing the body scans. And yet people don't get relaxed by doing the body scans. There's other ways to do it, but it does have to do with knowledge of the body. For instance, if there's any tensions in the body, we need to relax those. If there's any anxiety in the body, we need to relax that too, so that we can come to a complete state of comfort and then into being relaxed. And as we do that also, we bring in this Sama Sankapa of doing this whole show over and over again, safe, secure, relaxed, satisfied. If we do that so much, we begin to feel, I can do this. I can actually feel this good. This is actually possible. I can have it. I've got it. Or in your case, you're talking about it. I can completely understand Anisha Dukkha Anatta. I got it. And that's the crown uh, that adds to that top. And when we have these four factors of the Eightfold Noble Path, that's when the mind becomes unified and whole. No longer a crowd. And normally the crowd is set a rule, miss it. Feel bad, do what you're told to do, uh, regret, remorse, guilt, more rules, more regret, remorse, guilt, do what you're told to do over and over and over again. And we're kind of a crowd in the mind. And when we wake up to that, put an adult in the room and say, hey, guys, cut it out. 
go back to instead of being a critical parent with all these rules, go back and nurture. Let's have some wholesome thoughts. There, there now. You're okay. No problems. No worries, mate. Everything's all right. In Thai, they say, Sabai, Sabai. Sabai, Sabai. No yeah. problems. Just chill. Listen to Bana a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and just chill out because we know we can do it. Got it. And so in that regard, now, first jhana is a very natural state to be in, but it requires skill. And the outcome of that is unified mind, the samati mind, and also the samati of having all five factors together. That quality also would then be the relaxation of the body, which then is the samatha. We don't get there without a whole lot of vipassana. Mm. What vipassana are we doing? We're looking at that thought, but then we're taking the right effort to change it. Put it wholesome again. Stop criticizing our minds. Stop criticizing ourselves and start nurturing again. If you're nurturing yourself with the nature, dukkha, anatta, congratulations. That's one of the ways to do it. Another way to do it is through metta, but it's got to be done properly. In the sense of, oh, may all beings be happy, but I'm not one of them. Then what are you going to do with that? But if you can say, may all beings be happy, just like I am right now. Right, bloody now, I feel so good. I wish everybody felt this good. Wow, the boards would be over, wouldn't they? <laughs> we would have a ball dismantling every weapon that's built. <laughs> that's meta. But we don't actually feel that way when we sit there, may all be happy, may all be suffering, and we're not. I mean, here we are suffering. Occasionally, an old lady will begin to feel good about that in the sense that it is a way for her to get into the first jhana because she imagines how wonderful it would be if all people felt that good. And so she's actually manufacturing her joy and her beauty right there in her mind yeah. She just doesn't know how she did it. And so she doesn't know how to do it again. That's what happens with all the uh, practices that people do have these states often, but they don't know how they got into it and they don't know how to repeat it. They don't know how to do it and keep it going. It falls away pretty quickly. So in fact, that's part of what we uh, need to talk about next in the first jhana is applied and sustained thought. Just before we do, Bhante, just just one thing. Pardon? Go ahead. Just one thing, Bhante, and that is um, uh, I, I really resonate with the way that you emphasize the need to establish uh, an understanding or a felt sense of pity and sukha because it is so um, utilizable in day-to-day -day life. If we start to get too um, caught up into the insight without having something that you can share, which is very easily anastomosable with meta, then you start to lose some of that uh, relational, um, relational juice. And uh, I, I feel that that's probably why. Yeah. I feel that's why I'm with you. Sangha when it's noble. <laughs> I heard the conversation you had with Daniel Ingram and the 
mm, conversation, especially around the powers. My job is uh, working with other people to help them uh, relieve themselves from their ailments. And so I really get where you're coming from to not get so lost in the powersy stuff, because otherwise that makes a me and a them rather than a sense of relational sharing of this sukkah and the pity. And I feel that's where people can get very confused with the channeling of energy and the various sort of magic that can take place, which forms an imbalance between the relational field. Let's do that now. Let's channel Shumenary. It can be disempowering. (laughs) And yet I hear where Daniel Ingram comes from. Daniel Ingram seems to be coming from a a cool place as well. He seems to understand that there is a need for someone to understand their their, their sense of this deep um, vibration they're wishing to share. But I think it is something we can get very lost in. He seems to be very articulate about it, as do you. But um, yeah, it's just something I wanted to mention because that is my job. And uh, I find there's a lot of people who are colleagues that I respect, but can sometimes get quite confused about it. Okay. Um, I've changed the conversation, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, is, if it's okay, we can get back to the rest of the first jhana, because there's more to it. Yeah. But in fact, I kind of jumped ahead of myself, and so we need to get back to applied and sustained thought. Mm. Because... Um, this is actually is on several levels, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep it simple for right now in the sense of that we have to learn to apply the mind to the wholesome and then learn to sustain the mind on the wholesome. One wholesome thought after another wholesome thought after another wholesome thought, which in this case means that now we put the mind into a corral. Don't let him out of the corral. He's here to learn, to train, apply the mind to the wholesome and sustain the mind on the wholesome over and over and over again because if we don't do that in the form of first off gladdening the mind, then we won't be able to do the the second step of developing the relaxation of the body and the sukha, which go hand in hand together, relaxation and satisfaction. I mean, it's really, really hard to be satisfied with your meditation practice when you're sitting on a brick <laughs> or sitting on a spike. That's even more difficult. Okay, so we have to get the body comfortable. That's why in the old days it was a matter of well, what posture do you use because the whole point of it is to get comfortable so you can sit for a long time. But now, Western uh, Buddhism, they have it all stacked up in hierarchies. Mm. Oh, I can sit longer than you can, or oh, I can sit uh, in a more stable, actually, they don't even think about it as stable. They talk about it as fancy, like it's some sort of yoga or whatever. Oh, when two guys are sitting together in meditation, whose knees are higher? And whose knees are on the ground? (laughs) All kinds of competition is built in, and none of that is important because everything that you need for first jhana is available to you right here, right now, even if your posture 
is of a beginner. The point is, is not how long you can do it. The question is, is can you apply the mind to get into it and then sustain it for a little while? To keep that jhana going. So the way to handle that then is as you are living your life, how possible is it for you to pop right into the first jhana and stay there for a little while? You keep doing that over and over and over again. Every opportunity is an opportunity to take a big laugh and say, yeah, I can do that. I got that wired. No problems here, mate. And so when somebody has uh, uh, criticism, we can just let that pass right by. Get right out of the way. I do not have to pick up that hot iron just because it was thrown in my direction. I don't have to become a target. I've got the mind fast enough so that I can fly and get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> or actually, yeah, that's the whole point. Get the hell out. Get the unwholesome thoughts out. Stop being a target. Just relax. That's all there is to the first John. But there's a whole lot more to it than that. Because actually what we mean by this is the fact that the first John is just getting the mind fit for work. A lot of other stuff to do. And we need, we need a mind that's stable and firm, got samatha in it, so that we can do a little bit more vipassana without getting all shook up about it again. That's why we want to develop the sustained part. But in fact, that developing that um, applied and sustain and applied and sustain and sustain and sustain and sustain is like moving that corral into a smaller little box until finally the horse is in a stall. You have to keep sustaining and keep sustaining and keep sustaining because that's going to be the foundation for the second jhana. That if we can't maintain and sustain the first jhana, then all of the other genres are going to be really shaky, really flighty, very hard to do. So we have to get that mind into that very stable state by applying the mind over and over and over again, over and over and over again. Keep the mind into that state of safety, security, comfort, satisfaction, security, and the last one that we're adding is satisfaction because of success. But I can do this. I do it and I do it and I do it and I do it and I start liking doing it over and over and over again. We can come to that, that state over and over again. That's the sustaining and the applying sustaining that we do over and over again. And that's what gets the mind then ready to go into the second jhana. And so, in fact, as we're in first jhana, the first thing that we want to take as an object of meditation, because now the mind is fit for work, fit for taking an object of meditation, the first object of meditation we're going to take is applying and sustaining the mind. Can I keep focus? Can I keep staying on it? Can I apply it and apply it? It keeps going and keep working at it and that kind of stuff. Now, one of the ways that we can have as an analogy to this is like reading a book. To give the analogy first, and then you can ask a question. So I'm just getting rid of the mosquitoes. Oh, okay. Anyway, how do we read? 
Many people say they can read. And we start reading something as interesting, say, on the screen of the uh, computer. And so we start reading. And as we read, we're beginning to get some ideas about it. And then we start thinking about what we're reading. And pretty soon our eyes are going down the page as if we were reading, but we're thinking about something else completely. And when we get down to the bottom of the screen, say, wait a minute, I wasn't actually reading what I was reading. Let me go back and read it again. Has that ever happened to you? How about like every time you read, it happens? <laughs> and the other way of doing it is apply the mind to the reading and make sure that at every sentence you've got what was in that sentence. Now, we're taught basically to speed read. How fast can you read? The answer to that is everybody reads so fast that they crash land on every curve. <laughs> That's the, we need to start reading slowly to make sure that we got what we're reading. So slow down and read carefully and make sure that you understand that when you're starting the, this next paragraph, that you've got the basis for that paragraph because you understood completely the paragraph before, including your criticisms of the writer and the words that it uses. And so this is the way that we practice Anapanasati also, is to make sure that we're applying the mind to what we're doing. We've got a job of reading this book that we didn't know was up there. We've got to start paying close attention to it. Read it slowly, read it carefully, and when the author makes a mistake, throw that mistake out and put some wholesome stuff in there instead. Over and over and over. And if we keep watching, keep noticing, but we have to make sure that we change every slight little thing that needs to be fixed. Don't just read the mind, edit the darn thing. It is pliable. It does change. It's not fixed. But in fact, that's possibly the most important teaching of the Buddha is everything is a Nietzsche. Everything can be changed. This is the first fetter or personality view. Most people are taught by some religion or another, oh, you can't change. You're not good. Who are you to be good? Only God is good. You need a Jesus to save you because you can't change yourself. The answer to that is, what? what's this self? That's what we're going to change. You're not fixed. You can go do something else. And the way to do this is through this Eightfold Noble Path, the method of Anapanasati. Get in touch. Watch closely. Look at what the body's doing. Look at what the mind is doing. Begin to control the body with the mind. Gladden the body and gladden the mind. Pay attention to what the body's doing. And then together, when you got the mind and the um, body working together, kind of, you can put them in a kind of a pincer movement like that to begin to change the way you feel so that you can actually bring on this sukha. You have to bring it on by controlling the mind, controlling the breath, getting the body really relaxed, talking ourselves into really soothing thoughts like, hey, I can do this. Then we begin to feel that way and the anxiety tends to drain out. We begin to feel really good. Hey, I can do this. Thinking that old Get the mind into this first jhana, get the unified. This is the practice. Bhante, can I ask you a question? So with 
with regard to I this, you're, talk anyway. <laughs> you're talking you're talking about the change as in your wanting to change something by observing the change itself. I get that that's roughly what you're saying. Rather than having an intention to try and change something, you're observing the change and that is the, the change itself. Rather than actually trying to of that change. Yes, yes, yes. I understand what you're saying. It's just yeah. when I hear you saying control, then the control right is not right. Yeah, uh, I hear okay. what you're saying. Right Sometimes when I hear you say defined, right noble effort would be defined as the least amount of actual work or effort that it takes to actually get the job done. Yes. And most yes, yes. people, especially Westerners, work way too hard. And most well, of when the Indians that's... don't work enough. That's why I go <laughs> that's started right. in India was talking to about the Indians. You got to work at this in the sense you got to keep applying the mind over and over again. And Westerners come in here and with that work, oh, you've got to work. That's so right. They start really frustrating and really concentrating and really getting tight and uh, wonder why they have headaches and backache and all of that. And then they're sometimes. Scanning. And they scan right through the, the tension in the body. <laughs> they don't even recognize it, but they've got good sensations. They're just not recognizing that they're tight. So anyway, I'm playing. Go ahead. Yeah, sometimes we, we have um, Japanese come onto the courses and uh, the Japanese, when they hear those words, you you know, try really hard. You've got to try hard, harder. And uh, they really tense up and they tell us at the end of the course, they almost go into a freeze mode. Um, so yeah, it's probably culturally um, uh, specific. Yeah, but uh, when try I hear really you, it's hard to relax. Yeah. There was actually a book published with almost that same title. You must relax. Was the way that it was. Uh, Wayne Dwyer was the guy who wrote it back in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. You must relax. And we hear that must as if it were a rule instead of an imperative. Mm. It's an imperative, not a rule. When we turn it into a rule. Now we got to pretend that we're following the rule by getting all uptight. But when we understand Anapanasati step four, the body, the Kaya Nupasana, the whole point of doing the body scans, the whole point of doing the breathing and all of that is to get the body to relax. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Yeah. yeah to, relax. Get a, to get a sense of the arising and the passing rather than the tensions. Do you always stick to Anapanasati or do you sometimes notice the, the Nada sounds or? When you yeah? do this and use the word Anapanasati, I get real confused. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So okay. the Anapan, the Anapana spots just here, just to become to aware of. the you know, full body, the yeah. full body, the body scanning that Goenka does is a whole lot closer to the teaching of the Buddha than whatever you're doing here. So I'm just talking about the access concentration. So initially put in the yes, mind, the filter. Access concentration is not in the suttas. Access okay. concentration was made up. And the whole way of being that I've been talking about with this first jhana is access concentration means that you could just pop right into the first jhana just because mm -hmm. you remember and you've got all the skills to do it. Yes. That would be access concentration. Not, <laughs> which is the way that people think of with concentration. But often there is one area that you do have as a spe 
specific um, uh, acknowledgement of perception. So that might be hearing, it might be the touch of the breath, it might be um, sight, it might be light, the it might Buddha be. uses the term one by one as they occur. Mm -hmm. By one as they occur. So whatever you focus on, know that that's what you're focusing on. Instantly, just within half a second or so, you're done. Watch the journey your mind is on. Watch the show. Enjoy the show. But if you find anything unwholesome in there, change the uh, map. <laughs> I got what I got. What you're saying. <laughs> so, so in other words, it doesn't so much matter about the particular um, uh, object, for want of a better word, but more that it actually opens up the wholesome or unwholesome thoughts so they can act as something that you can um, apply your attention to and then you can open up to pity, sukha and then ekagagta. One way of saying it is, is that once the mind is free from hindrances, then as we investigate, as we look, as we examine, as we take one object after another, etc., everything that we look at now has two qualities to it. One, it's real. That gives the second is, is that it's wholesome. In other words, once we've removed all the unwholesome thoughts, everything that we look at as objects of meditation are wholesome things. And basically yeah. what we're going to be doing is taking closer and closer look at how the mind itself works. See the cogs turning like this in particular Samapada right within your own mind. All of that's described right there in the suttas. One by one as they occur because we're taking uh, a, one more wholesome object after another. So the first object that we take in order to really examine and get it good is applied and sustained thought. But we've got to be in the first jhana to be able to do that. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first object that we take. In other words, we once we get a, uh, the mind in the first jhana, then we keep it there. We sustain that, apply, sustain, apply, sustain until we can make that first jhana long. And it comes back easy when you want it. So the access concentration is after practice first jhana quite a lot so that we can easily gather up the factors for it practicing that applied and sustained. But I would have never translated whatever the poly is for applied, and, uh, excuse me, for access concentration that term. Maybe so, Upachara Samadhi. Wakey, wakey. <laughs> Upachara Samadhi, what does that actually mean then? Pardon? Upachara Samadhi, what, what does that actually mean? Well, the word Samadhi is wrongly translated into the word um, concentration. That in fact, samadhi and concentration are often exact opposites. One example of concentration would be to take the water out of orange juice, freeze it up, and call it frozen concentrated orange juice. 
because it's been it's had the water taken out of it, something that's kind of unnecessary when all is orange. But guess what? When you get that orange juice at home, do you actually drink it that way, like it was ice cream or something? Oh, no. It's too sweet and too bitter at the same time. What do we do with it? We put water back into it. By doing so, we've made it whole again, and we can call that then samati. Samati is putting the water back into the orange juice has been concentrated. Now, there is a use for the word concentration that has some value to us when we are already understanding that, and that is, is that concentration means to do it over and over and over and over and over again, like a child doing her uh, arithmetic in the second or third grade, and she's got 10 problems to solve. And most of the kids will get tired of it after the first problem. So mom tells them to concentrate. What does that mean? Keep doing them one at a time over and over and over and over again until you get finished and you can play. That's what a concentration is in the sense of applied and sustained thought. If you understand that way, then we can get away from the magical ideas of concentration, which has to do with looking like you're working, <laughs> tensing up, all of that kind of stuff. And the whole point is, is to relax and remember to relax and relax again and then relax again. But we wouldn't then call about it that way in the sense of um, uh, concentrate on relaxation. What does that mean? <laughs> and so this word concentration actually is a mistranslation out of the suttas. That in fact, in the suttas, the example is a ridge pole in a tent, or as we would know it in America, a, a teepee. A teepee would fall apart if all of those ridge poles were not tied together together at the top. And then you can spread them out and have great stability because you've got the factors together. That's what we mean by samadhi. And we mean that actually in two ways. One is, is the first jhana and getting the five factors of the first jhana together is the samadhi of first jhana. And then getting the mind organized and unified and noble is another way of unifying or making the mind samati. But it's not tight. It's loosey-goosey. It's not a solid. It's more like smoke. A gas. But concentration is like hard as stone. So samadhi is kind of the opposite of concentration. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why most people who practice meditation don't get anywhere. Yeah. Too hard. Instead of doing something really easy to do and keep doing it over and over and over again, they try to lift something really hard that they can't quite get a hold of. <laughs> Do you find sometimes that people don't work hard enough, though? Well, yes, there are those. Uh, I would say that that would be called choiceless awareness. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. More the so, people. So the yeah. example that I use often is um, imagine that you're standing out in the road and you see a great big lorry coming right down. It's got the <laughs> yeah. horn blowing and all. What are you going to do? 
Are you going to stand there and let that uh, lorry run right over you? That's what not enough effort is. Just mm -hmm. stand there. In fact, you're worse off because you saw it coming. And so not only that, are you panicked before it hits you, then you have to deal with getting hit. So you've got Duca twice. Once is thinking about it coming, and then it's coming. All right. The second option is the Mahasi method. You got to stand in the road like Popeye with your fist out and put a stop to that stuff. Mm. Mm -hmm. And then there's the easy way out. That is just get out of the way. Just get out of the way. Just stand aside. Take a step over here. That's all it takes just to get out of your own way. Don't care about the truck. One of them is standing in the road doing nothing and really, really caring about that truck. But the other one cares about the truck, too. He's standing there trying to stop it. The reality is, is that you're better off if you don't care about the truck. Just there it goes. Just to totally get it. Some thought, let it come. Let it go. Never mind. Which is really the first jhana. Pardon? Which is really the first jhana. What you're saying is the getting out of the way is the first jhana. Yeah, that's it. Just get out of the way. <laughs> and and then the other jhanas don't really matter. You're just really concerned with the first jhana. That's in the suttas, sutta number 36. When the Buddha talks about why was I afraid of the first jhana? Mm. He reflects, you know, this big story is about the rose apple tree. How many of you heard about the rose apple tree and the Buddha having the first jhana under there? And then he goes and he works and he gets all of these other jhanas and he goes and he gets really skinny and flagellates and all kinds of stuff. And then he figures out, hey, man, the answer to all of this is when I was a kid, I already knew the answer. I just didn't know that I knew the answer. And that's just chill, baby. Just chill out. That's right. I don't care about anything anymore. Just let it all go. Easy enough. So, so if there was a place whereby people are not um practicing with enough diligence and they end up falling into say maybe one of the arupa jhanas then there's a possibility just getting spaced out and never really coming back to the body I in a way that brings about insight that spaced out a jhana you were uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Process of jhana. i understand what you're saying yeah i understand but a lot of people get confused yeah. and think that that's just some sort of jhana it's a state they're not breathing well and their mind has gotten really tired because they've been sitting too long. The mind's playing tricks upon them. And what trick yes. is that? Oh, I'm in fourth jhana. <laughs> but, the, but the A rupa jhanas, the A rupa jhanas, the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, they are, are no fifth, sixth, they're no jhanas. If you want to call them not just not, uh, non, uh, how do you say? Not only they're not uh, A rupa, that that's another word for non-existent. Yes, yes, yes. It's got yes. no reality to it, which means it's all in the mind. In the mind. And we go really, into those really states well to recognize that everything is in the mind anyway. And yes, now yes, we yes. understand how the mind works. That's why they're called a rupas, but they're not ever anywhere listed anything other than four. So at the fourth and fourth jhana is made up by people who are not reading the suttas correctly. Yes. They're letting so their mind the, wonder. Once they get past four and then they got something new, they say, oh, this must be number five. There's no number five there. 
So the and fourth jhana. But they, uh, they're confused in the sense that in some sutras, like number 111 in the Majjhima Nikaya, there's nine. Yeah. Not eight. Yeah. So the symmetry is broken. They don't like that. Humans like symmetry. One, two, three, four, there must be a five, six, seven, and eight, except in some of the sutras, there's nine. <laughs> So these states that we talk about, the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth um, states that happen sometimes are forms of what seem to be dissociated states, or they could be expansions upon the insight that you have at the fourth jhana. Or, as it looks like it is, when you understand Paticca Samuppada and that teaching correctly, that's also the key to how the jhanas work. Because basically what each jhana is, is backing up in mental time, starting at Vedana. Yes, yes. And then working back into the Salayatana, working back into the uh, Nama Rupa, seeing what consciousness is, recognize how the Sankaras work with that, and make sure that you understand it correctly, and there's the end of the ignorance, is because you see how your own mind works. So really, it's an unbounded state. You reach a place where there's unboundedness by perception. What? That's what it's all about, is to take down those stupid boundaries that we put up through ignorance. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. So you yeah. have unbounded consciousness because it's not tied up. You see, the way that we tie up consciousness is with perception. Yes. That means that anything that I see, I have to make sense out of. That making sense out of something in the mind is we're not continuing to look. Mm. Right way to do it is to look and to look and to look and to look and to keep looking until you understand it directly. And the other one is look at it a little bit and then go into the past and figure out something and then make sense out of it based upon the past, which often has feelings wrapped up in it. Mm. Okay, so let's not go off into a full talk about Paticca Samapada right now, but I'd love to do it. We've already just gone over an hour. <laughs> and so I think that it would be better if we pull this one in and not go all over the place. But uh, in fact, uh, you could go so far as to say that Paticca Samapada is nothing but a complete evaluation of the second noble truth. But all hmm. of the second noble truth is there as features. You've got ignorance at the front, you've got dukkha at the back, and right in the middle, you smack dab in the middle, you've got feelings I like it and feelings I don't like it. And ignorantly, they wind up as uh, caring. Hmm. Caring too much. And caring at all is too much. Grasping, clinging, gotta have it hmm. my way. I don't care what the vote is, I won. rather than a deep post-inspection of the score to make sure it's correct and then say, I won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, does anybody else have any questions about this talk today? Try to kind of keep it on course, even though there's been a lot of wind blowing. I think that we've done a pretty good job of tacking into place and getting to the end of this. Thank you, Bhante. I appreciate it. Beta, you got any last 
Dodger gestures. Oh, that's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> I like that one even better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Gratitude and stay healthy. Yes. Back to back in gear again. Thank you guys. Thank you a lot. See Thank you, you very much. Bye.